to the quantum shit show <laughs> after a brief two-week break we are very happy to be back in the space and you have your hosts here jody Bo, and danny What's hello up? hello and we're coming at you live from where we are and recorded from where you are <laughs> to, to bring you a part two episode um a follow-up episode from part one. I don't even re- really remember the title, but... Cracking the Code, Cracking the Quantum Code yeah. or something like that. Cracking the Code on Quantum Healing. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Part mm-hmm. one. So this is part two, and what we're going to be doing is having a fun little conversation about different terms that are familiar to each one of us as far as our experience in the, the field or the world of quantum healing through, you know, what some have experienced uh, in various trainings or quantum healing practitioner courses. Um, but even aside from that, just what's been picked up on <laughs> as a participant in a quantum healing session mm-hmm. and things that you may have heard if you've ever had a quantum healing session or even a healing session that's not uh, based in like quantum healing, you still may have heard of some of these things. The last episode we talked about constellations, Russian nesting dolls, um, but not just the physical object, but the almost like phenomenon as you move through different layers of somebody's anatomy or their psyche. If you're clairvoyant or clairaudient, you have this extrasensory perception and you see one thing and kind of start to break it down and then you see something else inside of it and then something Mm -hmm. else inside of that. So it's almost like this weird example of fractality or is concentricism a word? (laughs) It's like a concentric (laughs) micro to macro or as you move into it, it's the macro to micro as you go deeper and deeper and deeper. So that's uh, what we've come to know as like the Russian nesting doll. That's, that's something Danica said. It's like, it's like, it's like a Russian nesting doll. You take the top layer off and it's very similar, almost the same underneath, mm-hmm. but just a little bit different. And then you break that down and there's the same thing, mm-hmm. like a box inside of a box inside of a box. Um, and then we talked about entombments on the last episode. Mm-hmm. And I don't know necessarily that we got into um, implants, but we have a little list here mm-hmm. of some various phrases or words or um, things some nouns <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll just continue with that conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this just popped in my, into my head as well. And I know that we discussed it in our winter solstice uh, webinar, but I was just thinking about the earth star too, because I, Jody, I think you brought it up the other day. We were mm-hmm. just in a, uh, you know, a regular conversation that, we were having that the conversation around the Earth Star came up again, and I was like, "Wow, that's something I haven't 
heard someone say in quite a while and it was almost jarring whenever <laughs> whenever I, I heard it again and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe people are still still talking about this. <laughs> yeah. Um and that particular topic, um, when we brought it forward in our winter solstice webinar that we did last year, um, we just kind of broke that down and, and we were talking about how that's a um, like an inorganic structure. And it is something that I had seen in people's fields too. And I was taught that it was something that was good, you know, something that we were supposed to be anchoring our energy into. And I remember the last time that I saw it and I was going to ground someone into it and I got this resounding, just like all of a sudden abrupt no. And I was like, oh, okay, let me pause. And and then I was like, okay, what do we do here then? And it was just like, we anchor into the heart. And it was Mm. like, that makes so much sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, you know, there are going to be things that we discuss perhaps in this episode that are going to be like, you know, once we say it, it might, it might do that same type of thing. If you're hearing it, uh, to our our listeners, once you hear it and we describe it, you'll be like, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Can you describe a little bit of just briefly explain what the earth star is or what it's said to be? So the way that it was explained to me um, whenever I first came into the realm of this work uh, was that the earth is not currently in its ideal state because it is, you know, uh, air quotes, fallen with um, and is a prison planet. It has all of these frequency fences and all of this phantom matrix stuff, you know, running through the, the earth grids and all of this. Um, and so when we ground into the earth, you know, it, uh, this person just kind of, now that I'm thinking about it, 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 it's like, it's almost instilled a little bit of fear into people, um, around grounding into the earth because they could unintentionally, um, you know, ground into the phantom matrix or, you know, ground into some of these, um, miasma generators and things like that and fuck up their Mm. light bodies and fuck up their fields. And um, so the, the way it was explained to me was that the earth was supposed to be the earth star. And when the phantom matrix and all of these frequency uh, frequency nets got, um, you know, implanted into the earth grids that it basically screwed up the planet and the gift from the Holy mother was our personal earth stars. (laughs) So we have our own personal earth stars to ground into. And um, yeah. I'm listening to this and I'm like, where in the hell do people come up with this shit? This is like fairy tale 101. This this is a course in miracles right here. (laughs) This is for every problem, there's already a solution. Yeah, it's interesting because it puts it it instills that fear, you know, into people around wanting to actually connect with and ground with the earth, and it facilitates a mass ungrounding. Exactly, exactly, a mass fracturing. 
Right. And and you know what? Perhaps we don't even ground into the earth because maybe we ground into our hearts, ground into God and connect with, you know, those things. But it's like, I have found great benefit in walking barefoot on the earth, sitting in the grass, rolling in the grass, you know, in those places in my yard where there is no chicken poop. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting listening to the description of it too, because it's like, well, because of frequency fences and, you know, and I'm like the frequency fences over our planet. I mean, yes, there are things running through the earth itself, through the grids of the earth itself that are destructive, but frequency fences, that is all said to be like Van Allen belt, like Mm -hmm. stuff that, you know, covers our planet. Um, mm-hmm. with all kinds of nuclear energy. And I'm thinking about it and I'm like, that's a lame ass excuse for having an earth star because then you're going to try to what dip into other dimensions and think you're actually getting true information 100% of the time with frequency fences all around you. Mm-hmm. Well, and grounding into this, this structure that is not really anchored into anything. Nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, what is the anchor point here? <laughs> the Holy Mother. Yeah. Right. This this really interesting root source of the Earth Star being this personified character that came and bestowed this wonderful blessing and solution separate from the Holy Father. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was just the Holy Mother, not the Holy Father. <laughs> that that mm-hmm. gifted the earth star and-, and and it's so interesting because when i when i had that realization in that person's session where it was like no we don't ground into the earth star we ground into the heart because this is where god lives mm-hmm. very unified in your heart. space yeah and it was like i started to see the earth star for what it was it looked like a it looked like a structure that had been like 3d printed and it was like all of this luster and um facade this, it, it, it kind of devolved into this caricature like mm-hmm. structure and mm-hmm. it just started, you know what I mean? It, there was no yeah. substance to it. There was no depth. And I really started to, it, it was like the spell had been broken mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I started to right. see it for what it was in my, in, you know, in my vision. And I was like, Oh, Whoa. Yeah. This does not, this, this is not right. Mm-hmm. That's so crazy and wild. Cause you know, I hadn't even heard of the earth star Honestly, Danica, I think the first time I heard it was a session I did with you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Earth Star? What is an Earth Star? <laughs> you know? But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, you know, in it. And it didn't, I mean, at that point, I had already heard so many things. I was saying before we started recording about my first experience in quantum healing work was through a quantum healing practitioner course um, <clears throat> with a couple. And Oh my goodness gracious. You know, they started talking about putting templates in people's bodies and programming people's bodies with templates that you make, you know, (laughs) and what the design of the template needs to look like. Like it actually has a shape and a design and a number of sides to it. And it possesses certain qualities and you have to charge it up yourself. You have to make it and then you charge it up. And then once you charge it up and it's fully charged, you can copy and paste it. These are the words I use. You can copy and paste it and put it into other people's fields when you're doing Ugh. healing work. This sounds like this sounds like sigil making 101 also from witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's all about it night. Like. It's yeah. all joy and peace, you know. It's just like, whoa. Well, right. and it also ma- it's also making me think too around this whole Earth Star thing because um the <laughs> 
I had people come to me all the time and be like, well, you know, I was, I was listening to this activation on Lisa Renee's website and, um, it, you know, it was talking about this, like creating a cord from our root chakra and anchoring into the center of the earth. And then I heard that the center of the earth was a hell realm. And like, what do you think? Do I need to be doing that or anchoring into the earth star? And all it does is all of these, um, all of these conflicting ideas of how we're supposed to anchor our consciousness and anchor ourselves, it creates confusion and chaos in people. Mm-hmm. And they want to be sure that they're doing the healing right or that they're right. practicing the right type of spirituality. And it's like, your anchor point is God. Your anchor point is God. Just anchor into God. Right. Yeah. You're, yeah. AKA the anchor point is the feeling and not so much thinking about what you're doing. Like mm-hmm. this is the really... Um, this is where I think one who is a facilitator or, uh, a teacher of any kind, um, it's really important to have experience because if we're taking a lot of thought process and we're transferring our thought process into somebody else's mind or their healing process, then we're gonna bypass (laughs) the thing that is where the learning actually happens, which is through the felt experience. Yes. And so much of this healing journey is going on through self-exploration mm-hmm. and not just getting the information. I mean, you can get the information, but if you're going through a, a meditation or a, some sort of sacred process that you use to connect – and you're not feeling connected, it's usually because you're thinking about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're trying to think about the information that someone told you, remember that this is going on, uh, which is where the complexity kind of interferes with the actual healing or the building of the relationship that we have with God. It's like, how are you going to get into a connected space by thinking your way into that connected space? You have to feel connected. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of different things to do to feel that. And it's not always going to be the same for each person. That's why we have to take the time and explore what that is for us, because it could Mm -hmm. be a simple shift in our posture that lets that freaking lightning bolt anchor in through the body. And it's like, whoa, all I did was like sit up a little straighter or all I did was you know, oh, I was leaning over to the left a little bit or my fists were clenched or my jaw was clenched and I had to just release that. And no one can tell you, uh, you know, to anchor into the earth star or do this thing because it does this for you, because it, it makes you feel this way. Uh, it, it's useless until you actually go through the experience of dropping all of the pretense, dropping all of the terminology and going mm-hmm. into it for yourself and having the experience and I mean, man, we've done everything from physical movements to vocal exercises to different kinds of meditation practices to, to even feel an ounce of connectedness. And none of it ever came from somebody being like, uh, you know, make sure you're doing this process right or thinking about this thing that's going mm-hmm. on. Uh, and this, it's the same kind of thing with the Earth Star. I mean, the difference for me is going through a a journey of 
learning how to feel connected to the earth without having any of this quote unquote quantum terminology or lingo mm-hmm. and feeling that connection or feeling the connection to the <clears throat> elementals and then having a personal experience with that and having yeah. memory being generated and given and received from that. And then coming into the quantum community and being like, well, no, all this is actually going on, or there's a reason for this, or here's the explanation. And I totally it, emphasis on these words, lost touch with the connection that I felt. And there was a lot of grief there. And the connection wasn't reestablished during the time that it was like, oh, anchor into the earth star or use this thing. You have this grounding platform. The connection was reestablished when I put all of the terminology down and I walked outside, kicked off my flip flops and stuck my feet in the dirt. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And for me, that was my experience. And there's something to be said about that. I won't say that that's everybody's experience, but whenever we try to do something that is directly going against what our anatomy is asking for, mm-hmm. then we're going to be interfering with the healing process itself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll say from my own personal experience, I never felt like I received any connection from, you know, grounding into the grounding platform or um, grounding, anchoring into the earth star or whatever, even, even thinking about grounding into the center of the earth, you know what I mean? Whether or not it's right or wrong, but what I have felt connectedness in is prayer, Mm. gardening, tending the chickens, practicing reciprocity, going to the beach, walking barefoot, sinking myself under the salt water. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I feel connected when I feel a part of an ecosystem, like a participant in mm-hmm. some sort of ecosystem. You know what I mean? I yeah. don't feel connected when I'm sitting, you know, on my couch trying to meditate, thinking about these concepts that I'm trying to imagine in my head and trying to connect into those. If anything, right. I feel less connected. Right. right. It's so bizarre to me to, to like sit and listen to this and, and have, I have so many thoughts running through my head just to, and it's all very plain, you know, but it's just like the spiritual path and all of this quantum lingo um, really has just done a number on people um, in bypassing what is right Mm -hmm. here right now of course like what we're saying and keeping people literally floating like danica you're talking about the earth star it's not attached to anything so let's just let people float around in life and be floaty in their life and it's like um ignoring the body ignoring the tangible like earthy part of us you know i mean um there's a there's a saying that says um from dust you came and to dust you will return. You know, like mm-hmm. we are the product of the earth itself. Like our physical fleshy bodies <laughs> literally are nature itself, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's so interesting to work so hard to bypass that part of us or to blatantly neglect it and then try to act like the spiritual part of us is the most important part of us. Um, to the detriment of the natural part of us, you know, and Mm -hmm. watching people do this shit and then going in and doing session work. And of course now uh, the three of us have had so many conversations and talked about things that have happened in sessions and how that all of this information flooding the session and coming through 
through, you know, psychic perception or whatever, um, is really impacting people's nervous systems, which is guess what in their freaking body, you know, it's not outside Mm -hmm. of them. It's not floating around, but they tend to float outside of their body because of all of the things that have pushed them and ejected them out, you know, like, like trauma Mm -hmm. initially, but then it's perpetuated through stories and fairy tales Mm -hmm. of earth stars and other crazy (laughs) things. That's just like, and and soul stars. Yeah. Cause if there's an earth star, what else is there? Right. Yeah. And it's just like, it's making me think about people that do work that is like, it's really deep and it's powerful, um, potentially healing work around, you know, um, things that we're going to talk about today, like miasmic uh, stuff that's been said, you know, or talked about in session work, which is ancestral and, you know, it's, it's, it's lineage, it's trauma through lineage and things like that, sexual misery, you know, addiction, all of this stuff. But in dealing with that in a session or seeing that in someone's field or helping somebody walk through that thing, you're ultimately connecting with their, their nervous system. And it's mm-hmm. like watching people get so messed up on that level of their being and then not understanding what's going on. It's, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. said sexual misery and it's just making me think of like, <laughs> like seeing a sexual misery template in somebody's field and then thinking, oh, I can just drop this out. And then they're not going to experience that anymore. It's, it's honestly, I don't know. Maybe we should talk about templates. <laughs> Yeah, and that yeah, that would be a template slash implant. And mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know, maybe it'd be good to share a little fun story, but I came into the 12-step program through AANA, Cocaine Anonymous, yada, 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 Codependence Anonymous. Codependence Anonymous was actually the most helpful program that I ever did in 12 Steps, but my point is that at some point I started uh, wondering if there was another source of my addiction because, you know, clinically we would look at genetics uh, or hereditary or things like the um, ACEs exam. I think your ACEs score, which is basically how much trauma have you been through it during mm-hmm. your childhood. and you Isn't it adverse childhood experiences or something like that? ACE. Yeah. A yeah. scores. And, you know, I scored pretty freaking high on that. I had a ton of trauma <laughs> and a ton of, you know, just like we all experience. But before I ever took that score, I had done a ton of inner child work and gotten a lot more information around my childhood. So um, I think the more we know about what we go through or the more we let ourselves perceive things, how we really perceived them in childhood instead of Uh, taking somebody else's experience for our own, you know, our answers to these kinds of clinical exams or whatever, they would change. So regardless, there are ways to measure susceptibility uh, according to the clinical medicine that we have. But then there was this, um, somebody told me that I was born an addict and that I would die an addict and that I was going to have to deal with, it was a terminal illness, a progressive illness, a disease, addiction being a disease. And that Jesus, that you, sounds hopeless. You right? live like with it for the rest. you're born and die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's my way of putting it, but 
this is what they say is that addiction is hereditary. You're born with it. Those who are addicted or were born addicted. Um, and it wasn't because of environment or circumstance. And now through epigenetics, I totally know that it, of course it is through environment circumstances. It can be, you can be born addicted, but you don't always have to be in so on and so forth. But I started to wonder if there was an alternative source for the addiction itself. And this is a lot of what we work with whenever we work with people who do struggle with addictions is uh, the core of the addictions being self-hatred and self-betrayal in all these different ways and all these very subtle ways and a disconnection um, because the addict is really just looking for connection to something. And I started to wonder if there was some sort of frequency going on, like the frequency of addiction, how they say like fear has a frequency and yada, yada. Mm -hmm. I was like going deep into new age teachings and, you know, starting to work with crystals and learning more about vibration and getting familiar with it. And in this particular field of study or information around addiction, I started to wonder like, is there a frequency of addiction? And if so, can you shift that uh, using all different, you know, how they have like healing machines and all kinds of frequency attunement machines and you can shift your frequency. (laughs) So I started looking into that kind of stuff and it felt freaking uh, revolutionary. It felt like a paradigm that I was like pushing up against. And it felt really big at the time because I was indoctrinated from the very beginning of my sobriety into the 12 step programs um, and inner child work and started learning about the frequency of wounding. And that ended up helping me whenever I started to be able to use clairvoyant abilities to see it in other people where these things are going on. And uh, this started, this took me into the world of implants because I had a quantum healing session and uh, they said things about, these templates and personally I'll share, you know, it was, there was this template in that template. Sexual misery was one of them. There was like some self-hatred stuff going on, but I told this person that I struggled with an addiction. So they were like, Oh, well there's a self-hatred template in here or whatever. And you're meant to, you know, help people work through their self-hatred. And that's one of your mission codes and mission all codes. this stuff, you know? <laughs> And at the time, I was like, oh, my God, yes. Like, yes, I knew it. That's so what I'm here for. I knew it. I've I am this. special. It's so amazing that you're saying this right now because I've always felt this way. And, like, nobody has understood me. And uh, So I know I, I have embellished a little bit on that. But that's what it feels like, you know, to feel seen for the first time. Or um, Turns out there's kind of formulas and algorithms and things to look for. Once you do it enough, you start to see that people's pain is the same. And uh, even though the circumstances are unique, that the pain's the same. But I started to grasp the concept that possibly my addiction in itself and the nature of it, the behaviors associated to it, the deviancy and everything, how it's tied into like this distorted sexuality as well. Things that I struggled with were all possibly literally just implanted in there at one point in my life. Like it was the opening to the idea that instead of being born with it, there was a trauma or an abuse that I experienced 
early on in my life mm-hmm. where I was specifically targeted. The uh, I was susceptible as a child. And then there was an abuse that literally opened my field up. And this program was boop, downloaded directly into it, implanted straight into it. And that was an idea. That was a freaking game changer for me because it liberated me from the story that I was born an addict and that I would die an addict. And then it also kind of took me into this realm of, well, this is what miracles are is whenever these implants are totally removed. So it was instead Mm -hmm. of unwinding the spool, you can just totally take the spool out because if the program or the belief system or the behavioral pattern can literally be implanted into you in a moment, then why not totally removed in a moment? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there was this thing that nobody talked to me about (laughs) that I've had to figure out over time that even if it was put there in a moment by some sort of malevolent force or whatever, and there's a whole mythology and story of time around this thing, but even if it is put in there in a moment, that program or those behavioral patterns have developed over decades. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And to think that those behavioral patterns can be totally wiped from my consciousness um, or my anatomy, literally my brain chemistry and my freaking neuron pathways is not what we're doing here. I think that at some level it's possible. I'd like to believe that those things are possible for you to totally shift somebody's anatomy in, in a moment. Um, but there was a, a major respect that I had to pay to the process that my body had to go through to unwind itself, to un, right. to change the behaviors. So even if there was that session, my first session where they drop out the sexual misery template or the addiction template or blah, blah, blah. I can't sit here and say, well, I, I did start to say I'm cured in my addiction, but I still had all kinds of thought patterns and, um, behavioral patterns and self-betrayal and self-hatred and shame that I had to deal with over time. Mm -hmm. Well, and that practitioner would probably say, yes, it happened in an instant, but because we live in this universal time matrix, it had to, it, that, the action of dropping that implant out or that template out had to trickle through all of these other layers of dimension and catch up with, you know, our universal time matrix. So, Mm -hmm. Of course, it took time after they dropped it out of your system for it to actually, you know, all of all of the residual stuff to unravel and drop out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if that actually did a lot for my healing journey that wasn't already being done or if it did make a difference. Um, I'm, well, st- you know, I still don't really I, know. I would probably venture to say that you were probably on the path, probably you know, well on the pathway to healing that and it was going to be healed anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it gave me permission to do away with the, the illness itself mm-hmm. as like a part of my identity. But even no, no quantum practitioner ever talked to me about identity. That was something that it was like from within, it was like, these things are not who you are. They're not, they can't be a part of your identity, core beliefs. If you want to heal. Yeah. 
the only time identity was ever brought up in any of the quantum se- sessions with me was about overlaying identities onto me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, gosh. So I enjoyed hearing that story. I enjoyed hearing your perception of an implant and a template. And it the way that I under, understood it at, uh, you know, in the past was something completely different. Mm. Um, so the way that I understood an implant and a template um, in in the past was that this is the way I'm just going to explain it to you the way that I used to explain it to people the way that it was explained to me. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to regurgitate some stuff. Okay, so I used to tell people um, our light bodies are like the energetic equivalent of. <laughs> who we are and our consciousness and our physical body and all of our codes, all of our mission codes, everything is housed within this uh, codes from this lifetime and other lifetimes across all time, space and dimension is housed in our light body. And it is a culmination of our consciousness over all periods of time that we've ever existed. And, (laughs) and it operates similarly to a, a computer and that it's not, it, it's important to understand that computers and artificial intelligence are modeled after us, that we are the original computer. We're the original quantum computer. Mm-hmm. And that is organic life, organic creation, right? Organic consciousness and intelligence. And that an implant was um, like a computer virus, a very simple virus, like a very simple thing that implants itself into your field. And it usually has like one or two specific frequencies within it, but like of an actual biological virus, it can self-replicate and can start to begin to take over and create webs in the light body. Mm. And then a template was more like a computer software program that was kind of complex and could start to create like behavioral patterns and things like that within the person. So that was the way that I understood it. And, um, but I'm curious because I know the last time that we talked, um, uh, and we were kind of discussing some of these, um, concepts that something that came up was like crucifixion implants or, Mm maybe crown of thorn implants or something like that. Mm-hmm. Things I think that, it was crucifixion. And, okay. And you had, you had brought it up, Bo, and I wanted to hear what you, um, what your thoughts were on that, because I know that that is something that came up a lot in quantum sessions, crucifixion implants, um, crown of thorn implants. I'm trying to think of some other ones. That, that would happen. Yeah. Yeah, usually. I thought thought you froze for a second. (laughs) No, I was like just reminiscing. (laughs) Um, I was scanning back through my experience because I never had any formal training. And my experience, my my understanding of these things um, has unfolded in a, I guess, a really organic way for the most part. Um, and crucifixion implants, definitely something I heard of in my first quantum healing session. I didn't know what that was. It had to do with, um, I was told that it had to do with the Christ lineages and it was something that targeted the Christ lineage and blah, blah, blah. This is a person talking about Jesus as, um, the Christ. 
mm. which I don't really align with that. Um, actually, I don't align with that at all. I think there is a lineage, and I do believe that it is uh, targeted in a way uh, or isolated at some level to be um, taken from or used in, in, in some cases. So I think crucifixion implants for me started to look like inverted crosses. That was the first time that I was like, I had heard the word before. I was having visions during quantum healing sessions and we'd never even called our sessions quantum healing sessions at first. I mean, for a year we were having conversations with people and then it would be, we would start praying. We would start praying for them, um, calling God into the space and it would just be a flood of visions, information. I would start seeing their body. Jody, Jody's, you know, has really sensitive clairvoyant abilities and, we would just work in tandem with one another. We did all of our sessions together. And so I wouldn't, we didn't even start calling them quantum healing sessions for over a year. But at first it was, uh, we were doing some group work and we were talking about provision, multidimensional provision. And I had heard the term crucifixion implant. Um, and that always brings me to the cross it always brings up the cross. So I was seeing a lot of inverted crosses. That's exactly how I saw what I interpreted as crucifixion implants also. Mm. Yeah, I was seeing them and they always carried, um, I see a lot of things in colors. So even sounds and stuff often, not all the time, but often, especially in a session, I'll see a behavior or um, a vision or hear a sound or a word and I'll see a color that like floods. Yeah. And a lot of these things have um, the color of like really thick mucus and not clear mucus, like green, a bacterial field mm -hmm. filled mucus or a black, of course, like jet black, deep black, sometimes metallic or flat black, a lot of different grays, almost like whenever mm -hmm. it's really overcast outside. And I would see like cloudiness or shrouded, or fuzz you kind of pick up on these things because somebody who has a really clear field and they have a clear channel and they're feeling good about themselves and yada yada you'll you'll the, that clarity will be described clairvoyantly or clear audio uh, you know in all these different ways very clearly you'll know and feel it in every part of your sensory experience um, so just the same whenever somebody has blockages or any kind of dysfunction happening um, it will also make itself really known in a, a matter of different ways so fuzziness is pretty much the opposite of clarity so if you look into the fog or the fuzziness you start to be able to see it for what it is so we saw these inverted crosses and um, that was what I could see as crucifixion implants but then Eventually, I started to see all kinds of implants being just like, this is you being um, targeted or crucified. I started seeing like black spikes or mm -hmm. the black goo. That's why black goo is one of the topics. Mm -hmm. But things Daggers. I used to see like daggers and things like that too. Mm -hmm. Daggers, swords. Um, but I always saw these spikes, like black spikes that look like... Mm -hmm. I don't know, some some piece of glass. That's not like an irregular shard of glass. It's like tipped on both ends and it has this symmetry to it and mm -hmm. would just see them um, 
almost like if you've seen uh, characters in animated movies or shows or even live action and they like send some sort of like ice crystals out through their hands and it's like, and they're all these really (laughs) symmetrical like ice crystals. It would be that except for like black, like jet black. So um, I was never formally trained, like I said, but uh, I think a lot of people are not formally trained. (laughs) I rarely would say because for that reason, like, oh, this is a crucifixion implant. Because if somebody asked me, well, what is that? I, I, I wouldn't be able to go into it and say, like, you know, this is what it is. All I could say was, this is what I'm seeing. This is what it looks like it's doing to you. Are you struggling mm-hmm. with this? Um, now let's let's deal with that. We can do whatever needs to be done, the light body, or bring God in, or or get the flow going again. A lot of the things, they just block everything. They just disrupt or dysfunction things at a major level. So we can start working with the energy body and doing all kinds of stuff. And that's really evolved. But as we do that, then we start opening dialogue, just like mm-hmm. go into the dynamics of how that it's affecting that person mm-hmm. in real time in their relationships or whatever. So would you say then that th- these things that we've seen in the past as – um, like crucifixion implants or crown of thorn implants or anything that we have seen as an implant or even a template um, is again, just the nervous system trying to project imagery to us to uh, give us information about the current state of the nervous system or the person's experience. I would say so. I think that the nervous, the central nervous system has been, the key component of controlling uh, humanity. You target the nervous system, you can control something. So through all kinds of, these stories always target the brain. Mm -hmm. Through the Sumerian tablets, Sumerian mythology, and you look at these tribes and and the mythology that describes how earth was seeded aside from the biblical story of Genesis, but even these things parallel the story of Genesis uh, beautifully, like a mirror. Mm -hmm. But you look into the mythology and the conflict that, according to these stories, was going on, you see uh, interbreeding between two different tribes, the dragon tribe and the bird tribe, the seraphim angels and the ophanim angels, and the breeding was uh, targeting the brain. So it wasn't even necessarily the physical anatomy that was the focus other than the brain itself. You were joining the brainstem into the higher part of the brain. So this is where like the reptilian brainstem and all kinds of that crap is said to come from. Into that's why the limbic system. We have like the bird brain and then we have the reptilian brain. It points to the central nervous system development. So I think that anything that's going on with our consciousness, with our body, the nervous system works very electrically. So as we project it, project that electricity out, it's a, you can take a snapshot of where somebody's at or what's going on with Mm -hmm. them based on their field or their physical Mm -hmm. body or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Just kind of, um, looking at, uh, everything that we've been talking about, it really does just point back to the nervous system and the projection of that person's experience. And you're right. Like if, when we connect into someone's vibrational field and feel into the space that they're inhabiting, 
um, and what's being, um, I guess, released into their space from their organism, it's very easy to see that all of these visions that we have really do point back to um, the nervous system and their experience that they're having in -hmm. their body. What do you think, baby? Um, I am like literally, I'm literally going through like a file cabinet in my brain of like past sessions and things like that. And (laughs) I, I think it's interesting because I agree with everything that y'all are sharing. And then I'm remembering and reflecting on session work that I did where there was so much that would come up around storylines and quote unquote timelines and things like that. And being able to Mm -hmm. see how those things were also very implanted you know, mm-hmm. um, they were artificial, like wholly artificial. Mm-hmm. Um, and the havoc that was wreaked mm-hmm. through things like that being put in people's space and people's fields and watching people obsess over mm-hmm. histories that they were told mm-hmm. they lived and, and, mm. you know, relationships they were connected to and contracts they had like contracts is another conversation. <laughs> together oh, yeah mission you know? blueprints <clears throat> well it's like yeah. you know people would be like you know your soul like you signed a contract this is your soul's contract to have lived through these things and gone through these things and it's why you've done it it was the contract you signed and i remember for a while i just had such a challenge with it now it's just like i mm-hmm. we're not even touch that but it was like a challenge for me because i thought that is like ridiculous to think that you would sign a contract that your soul would sign a contract with God to endure trauma so that you could remember yourself and heal. It's like, I, sorry, I just, I think it's a (laughs) crock of shit, you know, and it was a way for, for us as humans to ease. It's like you talking about the earth star. It's like, Oh, well, how gracious of the Holy mother to think ahead and protect us from the, you know, terror the of the planet. The toxicity and corruption of the earth. What a, genu- a generous and gracious mother she is to do that for us and keep us floating away from anything grounded and anchored so that we could never have direction or purpose in our life. That is so kind. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's the kind of shit I think of when people are talking about, it was your soul's contract that you went through all this trauma and your family beat the shit out of you and... You were sexually abused and this happened and that happened. And that was your contract. You made that agreement. So then it like always puts the thing back on you in this Mm -hmm. false responsibility. False empowerment. And um, yeah, it's total false empowerment, but it's a way to help humans ease the acceptance of trauma Mm -hmm. and not kick against the things that are actually traumatizing us that are false and wrong and Mm -hmm. harmful. And well, it also averts a, a certain degree of justice as well, because people will be like, oh, well, I must have, I must have called this down upon myself, or I must have agreed to something in my soul contract, or this wouldn't happen. And right, it, it causes, yeah, it causes people to avert justice and avert right. setting boundaries and avert, uh, you know, speaking and um, protecting themselves whenever they need to. It's a false healing is what it is because then people start going, I'm embracing the trauma and I'm embracing, you know, what happened to me because I know it was all for good. And it was like, no, it wasn't. It was fucking terrible. And Mm -hmm. can you create something good out of that? You can, 
but it's God that alchemizes yeah. those things. And right. so why would God require us to sign our name on the dotted line and say, I'm going to go endure this. This is all back to right. crucifixion shit. This is all back to martyrdom. Right. This is all back to Messiah complex shit. And it's like, there are so many stories being told to try to help us as humans deal with our humanity. And mm -hmm. most of the stories are, you're not human. You're a spiritual right. being having a human experience, blah, blah. It's just like, can we please stop this crazy shit that keeps us fractured and that is keeping us out of our bodies and is keeping us from actually getting into the truth because the truth is going to be held in an anchored space. It's not going to be floating above the planet. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not, you know? And so I'm just having a whole moment over here while y'all are talking and, you know, that's why I'm being quiet because I'm having a whole thing in myself of like reflecting back on all of these encounters and, you know, for my part, and I've said this before, but it bears repeating. It's like we, in our session work, wanted to honor people's place, where they were, what they were dealing with, what they were holding, carrying, going through, whatever, and not trying to bring massive disruption to the things that they were experiencing from all of the other session work and shit they were doing on their own or with right. other people. And, you know, yeah. when things started to crumble and identities started to, you know, collapse and stories started to, you know, shift and break down. Yeah, they just didn't add up. And then, you know, later on, people are like, yeah, but you saw this in the field. And I'm like, I did see it. I did see it. And there was more to the story. There was more context to be gathered. There was more to share. Yeah, we didn't put that shit in your field. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I was going to say is that sometimes we see the things because they are there, but it's be, it's a projection of where they are in their experience and probably because someone else spoke it over them or they have this belief around themselves or this timeline or whatever. And so we actually are picking up on that. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it's not implanted. It doesn't Correct. mean it, that it's real. You know, well, and I think about like there was somebody that I worked, we worked with and um, specifically who believed that their mission, their, their code was to gather up all of the souls that had been transited and take them back to the Holy Mother or release them back to the Holy Mother and that their entire body was to be used for the purpose of transiting souls. And mm -hmm. like their body was a portal. Yeah. And yeah. they had been told this. And in fact, when we would be in their space in a session, we would often see all this crazy stuff going on in their, what they called their light body. But it was this attachment that was getting made. And I remember thinking, right. dude, no wonder they are feeling crazy all the time or feeling like they're so exhausted or feeling this or feeling that. It's like, your nervous system is taking a freaking beating because you think you're the train station for every lost soul to move through on their journey back to mm -hmm. wherever. And it's just a, it's just an interesting phenomenon watching these things unfold and coming back to these conversations and talking about what's been witnessed, what's been said, what's been shared, what's been seen. Ooh, and um, having bigger information. And my, my prayer really is that people will go and dig into this more for themselves and not leave themselves in a space and be like, well, this is my ultimate calling. It's like, please understand if you're a human being, your ultimate calling is to be human. 
mm-hmm. and <laughs> that you can bring value and you can bring hope and you can bring healing, but you got to bring it to yourself, mm-hmm. you know, instead of doing these massive, you know, crusades of working mm-hmm. to help other people heal their traumas. Like, please just heal yours. Could mm-hmm. you just do that? Right. That it's does like, I work. get it. People don't want to be human. They don't want to be human because <laughs> being human is so painfully ordinary. It's so ordinary. It's so everyone's a human. That means that there's nothing special about you if you're also a human. You know, it's like, <laughs> I get it. I get it. And it's like, I understand humans have done a lot of terrible things. It's hard to want to be one. It's hard to want to fully be one whenever we feel like a case of bad fleas on the planet, you know? Well, humans but, have been told to do what they do. We've been right. taught to do what we we're doing. Right. And to think that there's some some otherworldly being that you could be that would be more glamorous more righteous, more holy is just like more wealthy. cut the shit already. You know, where do you think you learned this shit? Just like kids learn their shit from their parents. Guess what? You know, you learned this from somewhere, you know, you didn't create you. So you learned it from someplace. That's why we're talking about all this stuff that gets overlaid, that gets, you know, carried on generation after generation after generation. It's like, mm-hmm. it's so bizarre. But if we could be fully human, You know, if we could actually embody to a degree where we begin to heal on such a deep and fundamental level where our bodies do become that anchor point where the tether between the soul and the body is so tight that we are like as fully human as we possibly can be, then what would happen when we have an entire generation of humans like that? It would change the landscape of what it means to be human. Right. Yeah, because I think people try to look outside of humanity for their place in the cosmos and humanity Mm -hmm. has its place in the cosmos already. And it's actually really powerful. And we've come a long way in a really short time because we're rebuilding all kinds of things. And there's so much, we've been so bombarded with information and knowledge and um, indoctrinated information, like the indoctrination. Mm -hmm. So false information, there's a ton of misinformation and I swear, man, like we started talking about at the very beginning of this, nothing, nothing in my personal experience changed my view and relationship and understanding of God, like stepping away from all of the fucking nonsense, the information, okay. the, uh, what other people think is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like I think with the soul contract thing, I know we share a lot of opinions now I'm telling you, don't take anyone else's opinion for your own, right? <laughs> and you know, that's how I really feel. This whole podcast is all about opinions. I know. We're going to really share our opinions. Yeah. But we share some facts and I, I got another one here <laughs> that has to do with the nervous system because this whole thing being centered around the nervous system, uh, I recently learned that the cerebrospinal fluid that moves really all around the brain, but all around the body as well. It actually holds the information that guides our neuro neuro pathways where to make their connections. And it also guides our nerves and our nerve endings on where to grow and where to go. And that is a highly conductive system. And that fluid is highly conductive. So when thinking about the nervous system kind of being at the core of how all of this is controlled. And uh, in that same sense, as we heal and learn to regulate and gain control again and elasticity in our nervous system, 
uh, we're harder to control. <laughs> um, we have greater sense about ourselves. But whenever you pummel the body with something that is an electrical frequency, and you're constantly pummeling the physical body, it's seeping in because the body is conductive. It's like a lightning rod and it gathers charge. It, it distributes it all through the rest of the body and through the systems of the body. And it communicates with the bodies around it. Just like each cell does, we do the same thing with each other. And if our fluids in our body are constantly getting pummeled with radioactive energy or radioactive frequencies through uh, Wi-Fi or you know cellular networks, all kinds of BS that is creating a massive toxicity in our atmosphere, then literally our nerve endings and our neuropathways are going to carry that same level of corruption. And it's going to be very easy to program responses. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not, this is meme culture, but from the inside out, it's going to be very easy to program responses and reactions and also hijacked our ability to regulate ourselves if we're not on top of our game. I mean, our greatest defense is just our presence. If we're present with ourselves and we learn to be more and more present and we practice that presence, it doesn't mean we have to be right here, right now, all of the time. I mean, that's pretty unrealistic for a human being mm -hmm. unless you're not doing anything and someone's tube feeding you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to, you know, let yourself be distracted by a few things. But, man, our greatest defense is the presence. And if we take a step back and really look at this, it makes a lot of sense that all of humanity to control it would be to target the nervous system because that is the repl replicated story mm -hmm. that mirrors the other stories as far as mm -hmm. galactic breeding and hybridization and all these treaties mm -hmm. and bullshit, new races and species that were created. Mm -hmm. It's always been, how can we manipulate the brain and the nervous system? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm also thinking too on one of our previous episodes where we were talking about the nervous system and the implications that it had around ancestral memory <clears throat> and why that would also play into why the nervous system is also targeted. Because like you're saying, it's the replicated story. It's something that every human has is a nervous system. It mm -hmm. operates in the same way and across the board. And it also is the place where our stories are stored, you know, our personal stories, but also our ancestral stories and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The state of the nervous system really allows or, uh, interferes with our ability to receive and process so much information. It really is mm -hmm. at the core and it reminds me of black goo. That's actually one of our topics mm. to discuss because sometimes in quantum session work or healing period, not just in quantum healing sessions or whatever, but there's this substance and it's a perfect representation of the substance is through our media. The movie Venom is a perfect example of black goo and it's not this um unconscious uh what's a good word for it it's a sentient being it's it's but somewhat, artificial it's artificially created but it's somewhat self-aware so it's not just a substance that has no thought of its own right it's a it's an artificially programmed substance according to um the stories and black goo was created as a bioweapon. And its purpose is to bind itself to the nervous system, hijack the nervous system of the host. It's a parasite. 
and it's programmed with just complete fear consciousness. So it's a hyper sympathetic fight or flight response. So fear, like absolute fear response, everything externally is perceived as a threat and um, it won't run from it. So it's a bioweapon that's been engineered to bind itself and create a symbiotic relationship with the nervous system of the host to where it creates this, uh, like I said, symbiosis, but a need for the host itself to align to that fear response. So this is why you see mythical characters, but especially demonic beings as they've been shown to us is why they have black eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's said in some of the, some of the galactic politics that even like the draconian army, not, not necessarily the queen or the Draco queen or her direct children underneath her, her generals or whatever. And this may sound kind of out there, but they're below that all of the infantry and, you know, this hierarchy of Draco beings. This is why you see the Zeta greys and their eyes are totally black. These, mm. these fallen, these are actually the fallen reptilian beings that they say are the fallen seraphim angels or blah, 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 blah. Also called the, the Draco sea car, mm-hmm. I think. It's also making me think of all of these depictions around like, um, you were talking about like demons and having black eyes and like, like ghastly figures or ghostly figures. And I'm just thinking about them materializing, not just their eyes, but them being like some sort of black mist and mm-hmm. materializing, you know what I mean? Very much like kind of like the Venom character, but um, mm-hmm. like these poltergeist type things, even mm-hmm. like the grudge, that type of stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. see so many different references to this bioweapon itself um, physically and then even in quantum healing work, I mean, we've had visions of people literally vomiting this stuff out of mm-hmm. their system or, you know, you yeah. you bring in something that is according to pure principle, like diamond plasma light, or you bring in uh, different solutions or even during a conversation, you start praying over somebody and they have this ejection of this substance Mm-hmm. Or you can see it pooled up in people's field or in their body, like through clairvoyance. A lot of stuff happens clairvoyantly, um, but you can like see and feel these pockets of like where this goo is hanging out. A lot of times it's in the solar plexus or like the stomach area, or mm-hmm. you have it like surrounding somebody. See, it, I've seen it a lot in like the sacral area or the womb space of women. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the thing is, is that this thing is difficult to remove in an instant because it's almost like if you rip out the functioning part of your own nervous system at this point, like the same way that humans have grown, that we've been bred to depend on this healthy level of fear. Like without a fear response, we would probably not survive on this planet because our nervous system in its various states informs us, it excites us and it, it triggers our body to do different things like digest food, anything from digest food to, you know, eliminate a threat or, you know, get away from a threat. So we need these responses for our survival. But whenever we're in this totally far side 
fear response. It would actually be more harmful to immediately remove that from somebody's nervous system or from the consciousness. It's almost like, according to some stories, removing the black goo after it's totally infested the host would actually kill the host because it's so dependent uh, its nervous system is so dependent on that symbiotic relationship. It's mm. become so attuned to that behavioral mm-hmm. pattern, that state of being that if you remove the thing that's caused it, the nervous system can't operate properly. And so like you lose breathing function, you lose like mm-hmm. these kind of weird stories. It's around. like you have to kind of bring life back into it very slowly. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And you so- have to cut the food source off. Based on your um, understanding of black goo, how can we compare and contrast that to miasma? Do you think it's the same thing? Because in my past sessions, what I had called miasma does look very similar to like a tar-like substance, which I had sometimes, you know, referred to as black goo. Mm-hmm. And yet in my sessions, um, I didn't necessarily see the black goo as like a, like an actual being. And, but what you're describing makes total sense. It makes complete sense to me that there is like this um, genetically engineered, you know, bio creature, bio weapon that is like the antithesis of like, you know, like God, God's energy, God's life um, plasma, you know? Mm-hmm. It makes total sense. But do you think it's the same thing as miasma or is miasma something different? Holy shit. We just had a massive bang in our in Was our that space. what that was? Yeah, that, that oh, was over I, here. Yeah, I heard it. And then I was thinking, because it's raining here, I thought it was a crash of thunder here. <laughs> Should I go check? Yeah, let's see what's going on. I'll pause. Okay. Yeah, so... Between the black goo and miasma, I always thought that they were pretty much the same thing too. And I know that we were just looking up miasma again as a reminder, but I always thought that miasma was like some sort of manufactured trauma. So I would imagine that the black goo would actually leave the miasma there. Mm -hmm. Like the miasma is like a result. If those two are in a relationship or those two are present in the same place, it'd be like, uh, (laughs) The black goo leaves behind the miasma, but I think miasma yeah. can show up in all kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, from what I understood, it was exactly what you said. It, it was uh, um, a manufactured. Uh, what did you say it was? Trauma. <laughs> I, I, trauma, a manufactured trauma. Yeah. So, and I just looked it up and it's an oppressive, like the actual definition is an oppressive or unpleasant atmosphere, which surrounds or emanates from something. Oh yeah. My yeah. asthma is like the rain cloud or like the, mm-hmm. in, um, what's that one peanuts character? Who's um uh, dirt ball? Pig pen. Pig pen. Dirt ball. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. And yes. This is what you said earlier whenever you said that some of these stories of what happened to people or what people go through or who they are mm-hmm. end up not even being accurate information. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the thing is, I mean, gosh, it happens on so many levels, but I think it's a level of um, 
receptivity, susceptibility, whatever. I think that specific traumas that we carry in our system make us susceptible to bonding with scenarios that get presented in quantum sessions. And Mm -hmm. then those things become our identity markers and then they create entire worlds Mm -hmm. around the person. Like the world, the person literally becomes the center of a universe that is artificially created in their field. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. crazy because there have been times where I look at it now and I'm like, wow, I've been confronted with letting go of trauma traumatic experiences that I thought I went through. Uh, And when I feel back into like the challenge of facing that, possibly I didn't go through this thing. It illuminates that I'm valuing the trauma Mm -hmm. at some level. Well, of course, because it would be an identity challenge, but we value trauma or I did at some Mm -hmm. level. And I'm, I mm-hmm. still might if something comes up and it's like, well, maybe that didn't actually happen to you. But there's a, the things that I'm kind of have simmered down to being like my life experiences were based on like all kinds of symptoms. And then later on through inner child work, I get like the story or the context for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. We have to trust ourselves when we start getting those memories. Otherwise, it's like, did it happen or did it not or what caused it? Bo, I think you're going to like this. I'm reading something here called miasma theory. Mm. Um, Miasma theory is an obsolete medical theory that uh, originated like around the Middle Ages that Mm. basically said that diseases such as cholera, chlamydia, and black death were caused by a miasma of noxious fumes that like that's how people caught disease was through miasma Mm. theory. Oh, wow. So like the power of suggestion. It's interesting. Wow. You know, this is bringing something up for me, and I think we've talked about this before in other ways, but just that's like referencing COVID. all these things. Yeah, referencing all these things. There was a session that Bo and I did a while back with someone, and I remember as we stepped into the session, they were, there was a lot going on in their life. But as we felt in, there was, there was an image that I saw in the session, and in the the imagery that was being projected was like, it felt like what was being expressed, like a person having a bomb strapped to them that you had to so be so careful about undoing the pieces and the parts of this thing. And I remember saying that in the session and saying like, I feel like there's some places here that can't be touched. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's too delicate. It's too delicate. And and it's part of this conversation because of the idea that we can just pluck things out of people's fields. We can just pluck trauma away, you know, and be like, and now you're healed of that. And now that's not an issue anymore. And the ramifications of even interacting with people's nervous systems at the level that you do in spaces like that, your own included, is like we had to walk through a process of understanding how that affected us right. and how mm-hmm. it affected other people. And it got to the point where we really did start to be very sensitive to the fact that when we were in spaces with people seeing things, like if we saw miasmatic situations or we saw things like this stuff, it was like, 
God is the one that's going to have to alchemize this. God is the one that's going to have to undo this. Us putting our little hands on things mm-hmm. and running this light code or doing this thing potentially was causing way more harm than it was causing good because the yeah. system then has to heal from whatever the energy is that's being moved through the system or the information. And I just remember that so distinctly is coming up right now about that one session where it was like, you must proceed with caution here. And it was like, mm-hmm. some of this is not ready to be dismantled. Some of this is not ready to be removed, you know? And to think that we go in as, I'm going to use air quotes, healers, which is, you know, a farce, but we go in and we try to move things around in people's bodies or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, and then remove this and extract this and put this in there in place and all that stuff, which we were shown that that's what we were here to do is just more nonsense, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. more harm. There's so many ways to say this too, because this is, this is the reason that proper hygiene shows us that the truth can only be invited. And if you start putting the truth or throwing the truth into a space where it's not invited, it, we call that spiritual arson. Because you're like burning everything down and nobody's actually ready for that. And it's like uh, we have to be consciously aware of something in in some way, which is why it seems like healing is a spiral because we're sifting through things that have touched us in in so many ways, in so many different parts of our personality and our identity that over time we become more and more aware of how certain things affected us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there was something else too, but it is so delicate. I think a lot of times whenever somebody is wanting healing, this has been true for myself. Whenever we want healing, we actually want uh, an end to the suffering. So usually that looks like liberation from the consequences of our decisions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people have come into the session, like you said, and they're wanting this situation to be resolved, but they're not even willing to confront their role in the situation. And that's the focus of the session. It's not the situation itself. It's what have you contributed to this? And why do you keep buying this shit? Why do you keep buying and selling in this currency? Or why do you um, want this? Right. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't, I don't. And it's like, well, can you see that there's something that brings you into this every single time mm-hmm. you're in this person's space? There's something that always answers the text. There's something that always um, goes to that place that you don't like to go within your emotional state or whatever. And, you know, there's always a reason. And healing is dependent on our willingness to confront the bullshit. Right. <laughs> and that's whenever mm-hmm. we've seen incredible healing is whenever somebody comes into it and from the beginning they're putting more into the healing process than anybody else especially in a group space you can tell because there's always going to be like one or two people who are like throughout the entire process are getting so much out of it and the rest of everyone's like yeah it's been good i mean that you know these things have been going on but there's those one or two people or handful of people that's just like from the beginning They've been, I'm literally ready to face whatever it is. And they like go <laughs> into it, um, mm-hmm. not like in an unstructured way, because the, right. the container creates a lot of structure for people to land. But it's it's amazing. Like the healing is so dependent on our readiness mm-hmm. to heal. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. True. True. Yeah. So, it, in the case of a, a demon, I know you're about to say something, and I don't mean to cut you off, but to finalize this thing about the black goo is like, if a de- a demonic being in this relative term, the way that we've described it, that's fully infected with this fear-based biological parasite. This is why demons don't go to heaven is because in order to cross that threshold into heaven, they would have to actually make everything that's unshareable within them. They would have Mm -hmm. to make it shareable, AKA be purified, AKA. That's exactly, that's exactly the train of thought that I was on. Mm. I was just, I was thinking about them and I was like, Oh, this is why when people who, you know, die, like have a death experience um, and then perhaps, you know, later their ghost is seen or something like that. And it's like a, some sort of like a malevolent entity or something like that. You know, we hear that all the time. Like people move into a house and they're like, oh my God, the previous owner that died is in here. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. very, very much like poltergeist energy or whatever. <laughs> I was just thinking about that and thinking about, well, it's because this black goo has prevented them, their um, consciousness from becoming shareable. Right. And this is, this is a very controversial topic. Mm-hmm. of inclusivity whenever it comes to God. And this has been coming up, but I, I'll kind of say from the, the place that I'm at is like, this is why we say that God is not the exclusive members only club, but it's not all inclusive either. As if like uh, you wanted to bring something that was corrupted and toxic into a space that is holy, sacred, clean, and pure you wouldn't be able to without that thing going through the purification process. Mm -hmm. So it's not exclusive. Like no one can get in pretty much. Everyone's invited. (laughs) uh, If you're willing to confront the thing and, and be purified. And that's kind of the initial requirement for the containers that we hold is like, Mm -hmm. are you willing to not do what we say, (laughs) but face the things in you that God is ready to liberate you from. These things may hit close to home, but this is what you're inviting and just being clear about that. There's something else here that I'm reading that I'm finding is really interesting um, regarding miasma. And it says in Greek mythology, a miasma is a contagious power that has an independent life of its own until purged by the sacrificial death of the wrongdoer society would be chronically infected by catastrophe due to this miasma. So it's basically saying that in Greek mythology, if somebody committed some sort of um, like wrongdoing, the miasma would inhabit their space and infect everyone around them. And until that person's death, like their sacrificial death of, of the wrongdoer happened, um, everything that this person touched would be infected by miasma. And it goes on to give an example of Atreus who invited his brother to a, to a a delicious stew containing the bodies of his own sons. Gross. And then a miasma contaminated Atreus's entire family where one violent crime and catastrophe led to another for generations to come. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dang. You talk about this. I find that really interesting. Welcome to <laughs> Greco-Roman mythology, people eating their own kids. <laughs> but Hey, that's uh, in the Bible too. <laughs> oh my God. You talked about something similar, not to people eating their own children, but uh, something similar in your culture 
if you want to revisit it really quick, or will you revisit it, um, the belief around eating uh, an animal or not going through a certain ritual and then having some sort of... Oh, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was. So um, I actually, I think that we discussed this in our conversation around reciprocity because in our culture, we believe that um, when you are, when you take the life of an animal, when you're hunting and you take the life of an animal, um, if you do not pay respects to that animal, if you do not participate in reciprocity and um, bless the animal's life, thank the animal for giving its life to the nourishment of the people. And if you do not leave behind um, a gift in exchange for the life, which is usually like an offering of tobacco or something like that, the animal spirit will actually not cross over and it will um, um, inflict an illness onto you and all who eat the flesh of the animal. Um, so for instance, like deer are associated with like rheumatism. So if you kill a deer and you do not practice reciprocity, the spirit of the deer, um, which, which is still in, uh, the meat, right? Because it hasn't been blessed and and crossed over to the creator and no, no, um, reciprocal gift was given in return for the life. All who participate in eating that animal will be stricken with rheumatism. Wow. Yeah. That sounds the exact same as the story. Interesting that you just read. Mm-hmm. So consumptive, you know, and malicious behavior mm-hmm. has a consequence and invites miasma into the being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the story of how, how COVID basically changed the face of our society again. Yeah. It wasn't the first would, time. Something, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say it makes total sense because parasitic behavior will invite the parasitic being into your field. Mm-hmm. If, if we, right. if we, if we subscribe to like, you know, like, like attracts like, or um, similar frequencies phase lock with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like with any illness that is perceived as contagious, you go into germ theory, but I'm talking about taking a step back and looking from above, you know, or a bigger picture. And that it says my nervous system is saying, I'm sick. I'm having my, and the miasma is coming out. It's steaming out. It's like this cesspool of aura, corrupted aura. And your nervous system says, oh my God, <laughs> i got to stay away from that. It, it's either going to be like, oh my God, I'm going to get that too. Or, oh my God, I better watch out. Or it's all good. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a difference there. Uh, it, a symbiosis that happens even at that level, which is a, a larger level than what happens, but it's the same thing that goes on with our cells. Our cells emit enzymes and proteins or genetically coded stress information to one another. Mm-hmm. And if one cell is under stress, it's going to excrete this substance to the next cell. And that cell is going to take that genetic information or all of that stress code or whatever, and it's going to analyze it for itself. Mm-hmm. And if well, it's and under, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I thought you were done because I was, was going to say pause. if it's under its own stress, then it's going to pass that stress information mm-hmm. onto the next cell and the next cell, and it's going to take over the whole system. Yeah. I was just going to say that conversely, um, you know, if I'm just thinking about this instance where my husband had the flu and he was worried that I was going to get the flu, but I was like, you know, nursing him at home and he was in bed, and I never 
you know, were well, masks weren't a thing at that time, but I didn't do anything to protect myself from getting the flu. I just knew I wasn't going to get it. You know what I mean? And so I didn't get it. And his fever broke in three days and he was totally fine and didn't have to go to the hospital or anything like that. So I do think that there is, um, conversely to miasma, like spreading and infecting things. Um, I think that there is, when there's a strong belief or anchor point, then that aura also can push out the miasma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like on some level there is a there is a place of agreement. It's like we talked about code dysregulation mm-hmm. before. So on some level there has to be a subconscious agreement made between beings, between people, between information, in order for it to be spread. Mm-hmm. You know, um, can't sit here. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even like the, go here. <laughs> it's like the one bad apple, one bad apple will ruin the whole mm-hmm. bunch, and. Um, there is truth in that whenever people are, you know, unaware, the lack of yeah. consciousness, lack of awareness, um, lack of mental uh, fortitude, you know, um, I think that that's, that plays mm-hmm. a part in, in things like that being spread, you know. It's so fascinating that we're having this whole conversation around miasma as something that we have seen and experienced in the fields and then reading about like what it is in uh, you know, air quotes, the real world. And it's some obsolete like medical theory that says there's no like evidential basis. Hmm. Right. Because <laughs> germ theory is supreme in the medical medicine. Right. You don't profit off of <laughs> something that is um, intangible or mm-hmm. untreatable with pharmaceutical mm-hmm. <laughs> chemicals. Right. Yeah, because this conversation could get us all the way down into a rabbit hole of like how people become ill and like what causes all of that. Germ theory versus terrain theory. (laughs) I want the truth. You can't profit from the truth. (laughs) Oh, well, maybe let's use something else then. Oh, man. But I have to say, and just on a little side note, because Bo and I um, became ill after Christmas this last year. Um, with what we suppose was COVID. I don't know. Um, we expressed it in two different ways completely. Our bodies did not do the same things at all. But um, we were around somebody who had it. We didn't know they had it. Um, and the things that were happening in our life at the time, there was a lot of stress that we were under personally. And Bo and I are both of, of the um, ideation that we don't get sick. You know, we were always like, no, that doesn't really happen to us. And, um, And my body's been going through all kinds of things for the last two years, but um, it was very interesting to be in that space and it was like a stressful time and it was Christmas time and Christmas always tends to be stressful and not pleasant for whatever reason. I just don't understand it, but Christmas is bullshit. (laughs) We were with family. So, you know, that adds to all of that stuff. And somebody was there who was sick and sneezing and coughing and hacking. And they were like, it's allergies. And I was just looking at my sister like, I don't think this is allergies. Uh, she looked like shit, dude. And so then <laughs> she did. She looked terrible. And she looked terrible. Like she really didn't feel good. And so then oh, that literally, yep, the day after Christmas, she sends a group message to the whole family. is like, I found out I have COVID. And I was like, son of a gun with 25 people in one space, you know, for Christmas. It's oh, crazy. Yeah. So, um few days later, Bo and I both came down with whatever it was. 
And, um, and there were some other surrounding circumstances. Yeah, there was a lot going on. There was just there. That's what I'm saying is like, there was so much going on. And so, um, I say all of that just to say that I don't believe that. Well, because I didn't even get, interact with her in a way that would like she wiped her snot and spread it on me. You know what I mean? Like people are always <laughs> like, you could pass it like this or whatever. Sneeze into your hand and shake hands. I'm just convinced that it had nothing to do with that. And more of the, there was so much surrounding the situation. There was a lot of stress that so, we were so processing stress. ourselves and then being in that environment. And it was kind of stressful just to be in that environment. And it, you know, it just, the system begins to go, well, now we got to get rid of this. You know, now we got to purge mm-hmm. this. And, um, most people are terrified to get sick and it didn't feel good. That's for damn Mm -hmm. sure. However, the body was healing itself of something that we had encountered basically. Mm -hmm. And it was something within our systems that was resonating within the space and going, oh, this is here and we need to purge this from the space. Mm -hmm. Right. That defense response. mm -hmm. Well, Blaine and I got COVID in September of last year and we certainly um, expressed it in completely different ways. Um, he was highly symptomatic and like having splitting headaches like every six seconds. He thought he was dying and I felt like I had a cold, you know. But I tend to lean more towards terrain theory, which is, you know, is your organism, your body uh, inhospitable to germs? And so I, to me, it, you know, terrain theory and germ theory both kind of make sense. And I don't necessarily think it's like one or the other or this or that. I think it could be potentially both, but it's like, I do believe that I had less symptoms because I had already been on the path to healing my body after the carbon monoxide thing. I was remineralizing. I had, it was already on a lot of stuff that would support, um, you know, someone and, in uh, rebuilding and renourishing their body. And a lot of it is stuff that they recommend that you, you know, like all of these natural uh, practitioners recommend that you would take if you had COVID. So I had already been taking it for months. And I do believe that, you know, my body was more inhospitable to it than Mm -hmm. Blaine's was, you know. And so potentially that's why he had uh, a more severe reaction than I did. But I certainly believe that there's a lot of, you know, other uh factors that play into all of that as well not just you know the physical of it i certainly believe that there's a lot around belief or spiritual hygiene and um Mm -hmm. all of that that kind of plays the nervous system the nervous system Mm -hmm. plays such a massive role in how we i mean because there are people that are chronically ill and um, I believe it's contributed to, in in some part, a system that is very dysregulated. You know, um, a body consistently trying to cure itself of mm-hmm. massive dysregulation. You right. Know? So, anyways, that's a whole other mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. If, yeah. It if is. What I had was what people are calling coronavirus. Then, I don't know how to say this, but. There's no way that it is what we've been told it is because not only with the situation that Jody described, there were other circumstances surrounding what ignited that response, that defense response in my body specifically and Jody's around the same time. But 
for me specifically, I don't know if other people have experienced things that it was like, whoa, that seems totally unrelated to a physical illness as far as the indoctrination. But I mean, like we said at the beginning of this, the nervous system is controlled by electricity or it responds to electricity in a way. And so there's such subtle things that actually trigger a defense response in the body, especially if we're stressed out, because if we're stressed out, then we're going to be in fight or flight, AKA like hyper aware. And so pretty much anything can be perceived as a threat. And if we've been given a story and we're being pummeled daily Mm -hmm. by all Mm -hmm. kinds of frequency machines through Mm -hmm. the tech that we use, um, our phones, our Wi-Fi devices, uh, radio tower, cell towers, things of that nature. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not going to take anything to get somebody's body. If you give a, a narrative, get somebody's body to link into this response, this -hmm. collective miasma and plug into that or experience it or try to purge it. That's what COVID really is. It's the purge. It's because we've been totally inundated with fucking, you know, inoculations and frequency machines and our bodies (laughs) are struggling to hold up if we're not having hygiene in other ways. So like supporting them physically through nutrition or movement, or we already have chronic things going on, then of course we're going to at least experience this once. So I had a dream and it was a really wild dream and I woke up and I was sick for three days and that's what we called COVID because it was the same symptoms. Mm. But I mean, I didn't have lung stuff going on, but my body, I, I had like, Flu-like symptoms, you know, achy skin, like so just achy, feverish and all that. And the headaches too. Oh, I remember that. I got pink eye. (laughs) I got pink eye right after it. and But for me, my personal experience with it was like, yeah, we had that really stressful Christmas experience. And like spending time around family is not always easy. And then it was right after the new year and I had this dream and everything that was going on in the dream was like so invasive. It was a very invasive dream. (laughs) And most people have probably had invasive dreams. It was very violating. And I woke up. I already didn't feel so hot after I went to bed, but I woke up and I was like floored with this defense response, AKA sickness. And I was like, there's no fucking way that this is COVID. But if it, that's why I said, if that, if what I experienced was COVID, then people aren't really talking about everything that's going on with them. They're just saying, oh, I got COVID from so-and-so. And And it's like, did it come from them? Yeah, we don't even know where we got it from. But we did find out that several of the people that we had had dinner with the night before, um, the night before Blaine got sick. Cause I got sick about three days after him. So it was like delayed with me and they ended up also having COVID. So I imagine that perhaps we got it from somebody there, but honestly, I don't even know because it doesn't, isn't it like a, a few days or a week or what is the incubation period? I don't even remember. I'm so like not into, yeah, I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. I I don't think that we ever we followed any perfect system of how that all manifested for us either. You know what we should do is 
get a microphone out whenever we have these conversations and record it and then put it out for people on a podcast platform and call it the quantum shit show. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. We'll see you guys next time. (laughs) See you later. Thank you.